The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Today's scripture reading is going to come from John 19, verses 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing all that was now finished, said... To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, beloved, God's word is sufficient at all times, and it is always the very thing that we need to stand on and allow us to be governed by. Now, there are so many different things that, as in our society, as Richard already mentioned before, that a lot of people are deconstructing. And many of us as Christians, we probably need to figure out a different way to describe how we are trying to reevaluate or assess or think through some of the theological and doctrinal issues that we come into concern but we are concerned with <clears throat> and I heard one of uh, my mentors say that let's not use deconstructing because we are not and we don't have the ability to deconstruct a word that has existed longer than we have ever been created uh, all we can do is interact with and God has given us his word because when you hear it is finished or as our Greek theologian Sunday, uh, ser- children's sermon said, testelestize, God has already made it that is sufficient in which you don't need to question who you are and whose you are. But you can wrestle with some of the intricate details of the text because so many different things may confound us. But have you ever asked yourself, I'm confounded because I'm limited? I'm confounded because God is so massive. He's created the cosmos. He's hung the stars in the sky. He's put your mind in the right place. He's allowed you to stand on solid ground. Can a couple people testify to the goodness of Jesus Christ who and what he's been to you? If you ain't seen him or know him, you don't want to clap your hands or stand to your feet or just give him just a little bit of praise because, beloved, let me tell you something. I just had two of my family members in some of the most incredible and difficult ways give their lives up. One to drug overdose and one that committed a murder 20 years ago and was actually executed just last month. Now, if I would ask myself, what's the trajectory for Michael Davis, let alone what does the society say about a black man? It says that it's, I, I am doomed for destruction. But this word tells me something. Whether I want to believe whatever somebody else says, that that's not my destination. Destruction's not where I'm going. It's not who I am. But I am God's and him alone. And that is why when we come and listen to sermons and we come to actually worship God collectively and as a body of believers, we do it because what has already been done And I just want to start there this morning to set the stage for which this drama fulfills something that we have all continued to wrestle with. If each and every last one of us, we wrestle when we read the Bible 
And when we interact with Jesus, whether he's real or not, whether he's been there or not, whether I should give up on life or give in to the suicidal ideations because of who I I think I'm wrestling with or who I am. But, beloved, I want to tell us as a community of believers, the way that I want to set the stage is not to use these couple verses just to go into the drama and extrapolate on what that is, but actually show you that word, testelestai, it is finished, which can rightly be translated as accomplishment, actually says something to a community of believers. Not just our personal salvation, but to a community of believers. Let me pray before we go into God's word. Father, we love you. We thank you for your wonderful and marvelous grace that has been lavished on us. Help me, Lord, as I am thrilled and excited to preach to your people, not to go outside of myself, but actually fill me with your spirit and allow an unction from on high to be in this place to allow your presence to fill the minds and the hearts of your people so they may hear you and not Michael Davis. Hide me, Lord, beneath the cross in which you gave your life on so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer, all God's people said together, amen. Amen. So here, here it is, we find ourselves understanding what does, or asking, what does escaping mean? 1907 to 1970, there was a guy by the name of Henry uh, Houdini, the great escape artist. And he performed so many different events and shows around uh, the world in the United States. And he would escape coffins. He would escape handcuffs. He would escape chains and jails and straitjackets. He did it all in the presence of a live audience. And in 1909, he wrote a book. He published it, and it was titled Handcuffed Secrets, in which he divulged some of his escaped artistry. And he said that it would took times where he would use a shoestring or he would use uh, a lock pin or other different ways and various different components to get out of these contraptions. And so when he would begin to um, be in certain spaces, he trained himself to regurgitate small little keys to unlock and escape the places that he had been in. Beloved, we, we look at our text, we have to ask ourselves, uh, does Jesus attribute or, or any idea in what it means to escape? He doesn't. Jesus doesn't escape the cross. But I would add, beg you, I would beg to ask the question of, would you have escaped the cross? More so than anything, let's say that we are bearing our cross because that's what the gospel says. Do you want to escape your cross? I think that that is a fundamental concern and issue for the most of us. We don't want to bear what Jesus has given us. And so we'd rather, in an escapist mentality, we'd rather get out of it. We'd rather leave it. Uh, Many of us, we can attribute to where we are as uh, as a city, a community of believers, how many of us heard that people want to escape Memphis? 
because of what they perceive it to be. I was at a funeral home, and I've been in a fair share of funeral homes in my ministry, uh, and it was in St. Louis, and I told the brother where I lived, and the the director said, oh, my goodness, I don't want to go to Memphis. And and we had this long dialogue as to why, but I I I was confounded by the reality that we have a truth in which can transform the hearts and the lives of people. But yet, we don't want to be in the dark places. We are the light in which Jesus calls us to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. But yet, we want to hide ourselves in the community of other things that calls for safety in terms of what they describe as light. So, beloved, when I want you to hear the big idea this morning, I want you to understand and think about not just what, it ha- what has happened on the cross for personal salvation because I wrestle with that. I wrestle with the idea that as we think about what it means to have a covenant, that everything is so personalized in terms of our Christianity. I want to pull us out of that as downtown church, talking about a building, talking about transition, thinking about the future, that would happen on the cross as a community of believers. What we have to ask ourselves is this, as a community uh, sorry, not ask ourselves, but as a community of believers transformed by Jesus' accomplishment on the cross, we ought to do something. We ought to believe and be filled with the, loving, the, the Christ-loving nature in which God has given us. The Christ-loving nature, not the love of romanticism. Not the love of feeling an affection. Not the love of something that's temporal, but actually something that's founded on something that will never change. Sometimes you wake up and love your kids. Sometimes you wake up and you're like, God, take them. You may say that about your spouse, your mama, your daddy, or whatever. But the reality is the love that God has given us is unwavering. And this is in connection with the entire book of uh, uh, the book of John, let alone the entire Bible. What John has been trying to articulate to us time and time again is that, yes, I want you to believe in the purpose I'm writing and the signs that I'm showing you is that you so that you will believe. Believe in Jesus, not in the things that you want to believe in, but believe in what Jesus says he's accomplished. This then, what I want to set is a high view of God this morning. Understanding that God is so lofty, God is so big, he is so massive, we are confounded and we cannot comprehend the mysteries and the wonders in which he's revealed himself within this book. There are things that we still experience today which we're alive and well in which God is the same God that he was yesterday, the same God that he is today. And if you know the book, he's the same God that he will be forevermore. Therefore, beloved, the believing and loving aspect of the Bible are incredibly important for the community of believers. And the way that it flushes itself out is that we don't need to succumb to pretentiousness. That's number one. Number two, we need to love on purpose. And number three, we need to confess our vulnerabilities. We ain't all got it together. As much as we want to come in this place with our raggedy selves and act like we got it together, we do not have it together. And so when you think about that, and excuse me if I'm offending some people, I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to preach what I believe God is saying in his word and has convicted me as well. 
When we live as a people who have been transformed by the work of the gospel on the cross, by the accomplishment, many have heard it who you like theology, the finished work of Christ, or the, the, finish, uh, the, work, the work on the cross is the finishing work in which God has done on the behalf of all his people, etc. The fulfillment of the scriptures. What happens, beloved, is that you don't need to succumb to being somebody that God ain't called you to be. If we are being a community of believers that will not succumb to pretentiousness, we ought to be a community of believers that stands on his word, sits under his word, and allows his word to wrap itself around us so that in our hearts, when we have doubts, many, many of us can go to Psalm 119, 11 and said, in, uh, 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 let me hide thy word in my heart so I, well, I, I, I'm King James still in my mind, so that I, I will not sin against thee. When you understand wrapping yourself under it, standing in it, being rooted in God's word helps us not to be a pretentious community. When you walk through those doors and anxiety and depression and all of the things, shame and guilt are actually trying to conform you, what happens is you feel like, let me put on the suit or the mask that's going to make me feel or make people feel as if they're okay with me. Can I ask you something? What is wrong with the way that God created you? So not only that, which we will dive deeper into, uh, but we also, also understand that we need not to lack confidence in the gifts that God give, has given us to the community, of believers that he set us in, to the family of God that he set us in. I, I value highly being committed to people. I value highly being committed to, to, a, to a group of individuals. Why? Because when God says that he has given us a community of believers, it is to understand that when God has placed us in a place, he's placed us in order for us to grow together. In order for us as believers to actually love one another deeper than we've ever loved one another. See, it was St. Augustine who said that the way in which we ought to interpret the Bible is through the twofold love God and love neighbor. So when you think about the idea in which in the Old Testament, what does God say in Leviticus 19? That you ought to love your neighbor as yourself, right? When you think about John 13, 34 through 35, why does Jesus say that if you love one, you love one another, people will know that you are my disciples? It's amazing, beloved, that if a community does not succumb to being pretentious, that if it loved one another, then it would actually display something higher than anybody can imagine. Higher than just an emotional feeling, it actually displays what God has done on the cross. That's what we are getting to when we think about being rooted in his word. Because when you think about Jesus coming to teach, he says, I'm not coming to teach and fulfill the law of what you perceive, Jewish community, of, uh, of what you perceive the law to be fulfilled. I'm coming to fulfill what God, the Father, has actually put me on mission, arranged, which I accomplished, and which the Holy Spirit would then apply. Are you tracking with me this morning? Amen, two or three of y'all. Amen, two or three of y'all, church. The weight of this is to understand that what God is doing, it actually means that he is working within the community to help us know that we're created for his glory and his glory alone. Remember, I, I just 
just gave you a myriad of information, and I think you, you, you can be driven by so much information, but here's what I think transforms us, is that God created us to enjoy him and for his glory for the rest of our lives. That's why God created us, to, to, to glorify him and enjoy him for the rest of our lives. So then when you think about, well, Mike, when I come into this multi-ethnic, if we will, multi, we're trying to do generational and class and things. When we're trying to be a body of believers that people come from different backgrounds and walks of life, people have different thought processes in terms of how we think society should be shaped and formed. We, we have various different ideologies in which we succumb to. Which is fine. It's totally fine to know and engage intellectually in so many different things. But let me, let me put it plain because I come from somewhere where, you know, I, I just like to make it plain. The reality is this. You can't fake it till you make it in the body of Christ. You, you can't fake it till you make it in the body. Many of you have been trained to do that. You go, some of y'all who have gone into executive boardrooms, some of you who are leading organizations, some of you who are working in the classroom or doing di various different things, some of you are in the medical profession, some of you are business owners, et cetera. Some of y'all just, just sitting here saying, well, I don't know what I am. Whatever it is, the reality is many of you, have worked in a, a way in which you felt like I had to fake it until I can make it. And God doesn't teach us that. He actually teaches us to be constantly transformed, sanctified by the renewing of our minds so that we will look not like what we desire, but as a community of believers, we will look more like him. And beloved, that, that's beautiful. The reason it's beautiful is because when you recognize that the liberty is not so much in me fighting against or trying to put on what we think people think of us, but yes, taking off the things that people are thinking about us, or think people think that we need to become. Fighting the pretentiousness that tries to cause us to conform by understanding that we've been transformed to be a light that will transform everything around us. Have you ever walked into a situation to where you were the person that actually transformed the presence of the room? You brought a calm, calming spirit and presence in that area. Why? Because you walked in and you prayed because you were overly anxious. And you asked God to give you that. That's glorifying God. It doesn't sound sexy, does it? It doesn't sound like you, you, you're going to get something, does it? That's not what the Bible teaches us. His accomplishments are there in order to assure us that we can fully walk in the way that he has created us. What he's done on the cross is just that. And so when he says it is finished, when it has been fulfilled, the beauty in that is to understand that I don't need to work anymore. 
I don't need to fake it till I make it. I don't need to be something that I ain't. I can walk in in all of my whatever it is. I can walk in all of my ethnicity. I can walk in all of my culture. I can walk into this downtown church and I can be the very thing that changes things in this area. I can move around and worship the way I like to worship and experience God, etc. That is what the Bible helps teach us as a community instead of trying to take away what God has given us. That means as a community, we need to affirm what God has glorified in us. John 17, 14, 4. We've already, we've already gone through it, but when Jesus says, I glorify you on earth, having accomplished which is the same Greek word in John, in John 19, 28. Accomplished the work you have gave me to do. God deeply loves us. And understanding, understanding this means that when we see that he's been rejected and pushed aside by his own people, see that... That deconstructing is deceptive because it causes us to go into a mentality where I can just push Jesus aside and I can think on my own. That's how we got Jehovah's Witnesses. Because what they said was there was no historical precedent for the Bible. You understand that there are church fathers. And there are, there are people from the ancient church that actually learn from Paul and learn from John and learn from others that have written historical creeds and confessions that make our faith solid, that make it roots our faith. And when you, when you understand that, what happened with the Jehovah's Witnesses, what they begin to do is say, we're going to scrape all of that. We're going to begin to try to translate some things on our own. And what happens is Jesus becomes a created being as opposed to being very human and very God. So what happens is when we don't use the cloud of witnesses that have actually gone before us, that help us to understand who God is, it strengthens us as a community. So we no longer succumb to ideas or ways in which we are not supposed to be. We're affirmed by what God has accomplished. And look, think about this. When he also prayed in that same chapter, John, right after he prayed about the glorification, prayed for the disciples, he prayed that we may become perfectly one. I believe a sign of the devil attacking the church is when division and dissension is in it. In Ephesians chapter 4, I was going through premarital counseling, it says the devil takes every opportunity, every opportunity to deceive us, even in marital relationships, even in friendship relationships, even in one-on-one -on -one relationships, the devil takes all of that to deceive us. And so we, be we begin to think negative thoughts, which then makes us conform to pretentiousness. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? But as a family, the Bible has described us as a family, and not just merely a family, but a covenant family. 
One thing that I believe that a covenant family means is that we have vowed ourselves, no matter how large or small, no matter how smart or whatever you want to say on the spectrum, whatever your IQ is, no matter where you are in life, the color of your skin, the way that you speak and the vernacular that you have or the colloquialisms that you use or however you learn and attribute and give that to, to life. Beloved, what society says is this is what it looks like to be a human. This is what it looks like to function. But what God says is be who I created you to be. Even as a community of believers, even as individuals coming from various different backgrounds. Why? Because you're a family. I remember, just like some of you kids, where I, I, I said something that I really hurt my parents. I had this little wooden bunk, bunk bed, and I carried this pocket knife on me all the time. And I, I, carried, I had the pocket knife, and I took it out, and I, I, I don't know why they made me so mad, but I just said, I hate. I carved it in my parents or something like that. And I just left it there, being emotional in my feelings, all of that. And my mama said, so you hate us, huh? I said, what you talking about? What you talking about, mama? I love you. But what's this that you've written down in your bed? You carved in. Parents, have your children ever told you how much they don't like you or that they want to die or that they, they're rebelling against you? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever looked in the mirror and said to yourself, I, I, I hate who I see. I, I don't like the person I'm looking at. And I can't stand what everybody else is saying about me. Nor can I believe any truth that they're saying about me. Succumbing to pretentiousness is not merely trying to self-will yourself out of it, but it's actually trying to affirm yourself in the family and be affirmed and encouraged by the family. What does Paul say about encouragement? That it builds up the church. So, deacons, we got a lot of deacons in the house. Deacons, clap your hands. Deacons, clap your hands. Clap your hands, deacons. Act like you, act like you love to serve the church. Act like you love to serve the church. Our deacons are incredible. Because they give me a picture of this in which when we help people in our community that are in need. What I don't want to do is demonstrate who we help that's in need. But what I do want to highlight is that when we care for each other, and then we recognize that, what we ought to do is encourage that very thing in one another. And that is a family showing itself. So verse 28, it says, he's made all, I got to keep moving. I'm, I got to keep moving. Y'all know I ain't preaching a while. I keep moving. In verse 20, it says, Jesus knowing all. It's this idea in which it, he's actually fulfilled and made sure that he's taken on the penalty of death for us. And he was obedient to the point of death. When you understand that not only did he know all, he understood what was coming. Which is why he stopped Peter from trying to defend him. Which is why he actually told Pilate that it is not, it is not you that have the authority that gives up my life. It's, I have the authority to lay my life down. So Jesus articulates everything in which he's trying to fulfill. And so what it, what it means is, is that no one can actually manipulate what God has placed in him, through him, and to him. When you think about that for a moment, just think about the gifts in which you lack confidence. 
if you stand on anything else in that you merely think that you have something to contribute to the body of Christ, I want you to reverse that thinking and actually say to yourself, yes, I do have things to contribute that God has given me and let me walk in those things by being affirmed by the body of Christ. Therefore, so I'm a pastor, not because Michael Davis thinks that he's a pastor. I've seen people actually ruin their marriage because what they said is, I'm called to ministry. I don't care what my wife says. I don't care what my husband says. I'm called to it. That's not what the Bible teaches us. If I've made a vow to my spouse, I vow to them before God. Therefore, whenever God has given me a gift, I'm waiting for it to be affirmed through the body of Christ. We too should do the same thing. So, beloved, when you think about that idea, I can merely break it down to applying it. If you know how to sing, brothers, come up and help Rico sing. If you know how to serve, come and serve in the community. Be a part of that. Why? Because when we make the accomplishments on the cross primarily about what he's done for me, we forget that he's accomplished the things on the cross for us to be a covenant family, a body of believers. Let me keep moving. Love on purpose. Don't succumb to pretensionists. Love on purpose. And when you, can, when you think about what it means to love on purpose, you have to continue to ask yourself then, if I, am ought, to, if I ought to display what it means to love what, and lo- love myself as I love my neighbor, how do I live this out when the Scripture's, te- when the scriptures telling me what is promised? Beloved, you live this out understanding what Christ has done for you. So loving looks like this. Forgiveness. Loving looks like this, embracing who God has made you to be. Loving looks like embracing the people that God has placed you around. Loving also makes it, makes it plain that we are to be a community that love those that are pushed to the margins. Love those that are not, that are not looked in our community as if people are supposed to be a part of the body of Christ. Love the sick, love the widows, love the fatherless, the motherless. Love those that are going through pain and suffering. Love those that are disabled. Love every single individual with the love that God has given to you. Where do we get this from? John 3.16 tells us exactly where we get this from. That where did, why did Jesus come? Because God loved the world. He loved the world. Part of our believing and transforming us in our belief is that we ought to be a community of believers understanding that since we are deeply loved by which God had already had an entire plan, his plan for salvation didn't come out of nowhere. Read Genesis chapter 3. Then read Genesis chapter 12. When he's given a covenant to Abraham, he's given a covenant to Moses, he's given a covenant to David, he's worked out a plan in way in which he says, I'm going to save a community, the family that I deeply care about by being the fulfillment of that. Have you ever lost a family member? Does it only affect you? Or does it affect the entire family? What about healing? Have you ever had a family member healed from a sickness? Has it only affected you? Or has it affected the entire community? When we sing hymns like there's a bomb in Gilead, that healing bomb, whenever you experience healing, it's a testimony of what God is doing, not just in your life, 
but in the community of believers. I guarantee when God is working on you, he's working on somebody else too. And that, beloved, is a community that's holding to this thing in which we love on purpose by acknowledging the way that we're healed together as a community. Look at Lazarus. When Jesus healed Lazarus, what did he say when he prayed? I'm not praying this on my behalf. Father, I'm praying this for everybody around me so they may believe. That is what the Bible says. God is intentional in the way that he's called us. And I'm going to keep moving because when we think about our confessions, our confessions are not just personal confessions. I love the fact that this morning we just confessed our sins. But our confessions of our vulnerabilities ought to be confessions in which we know that we can't do it because we don't have the family of God. When I lost my mother, one of the first people that was in the hospital room with me was my pastor. Hugging me as I cried. When I didn't, when my pastor came, when the pastor that we both came from, who I still love to this day, said, son, I, your, your mother hadn't paid tithes in a couple months. Y'all can't have a funeral here. At the time, I didn't even know how to process it. But my pastor said, son, it's okay. We're going to find a place. Beloved, I'm sharing that because I want you to know that I don't talk about loving the church and not being succumbing to pretentiousness in the church and confessing our vulnerabilities because it's something that's out there that's abstract. It's because what I've experienced is what I believe that the cross helps me to understand who God is more fully and deeper. And in doing so, when I come in, Jesus says to understand this. Jesus says this to under, for us to understand his vulnerability as a, as a human, human. I thirst. That reality in which Jesus says that I thirst actually alludes to, some say alludes to Psalm 69 and verse, verse 21. But I want to just highlight the fact that his thirsting is a picture of his suffering for us, that it's real. That it's not merely routine, that it's not just an assignment, but it's actually brutal and excruciating. And a community that is in need acknowledges what the accomplishing effects of the cross has done for us. A, a community that is in need is actually a community acknowledging the accomplishments of the cross. We ought to be a community that is not succumb to pretentiousness that loves on purpose, that understands that confessing our vulnerabilities leads us to this table. In our society, in our nation, we have pictures of liberty all over the place, freedom, the liberty bell. My son was just telling me about Lady Liberty, and he said, do you know that the chains on our feet represents freedom? I said, boy, you know something. Let me say something. We all look for freedom in different places. It's pictured around us as a community understanding that we've been transformed as a community of believers to believe and to love by the power of the gospel of what God has accomplished. It's to say that we don't have to just look at Lady Liberty, beloved. We don't need to just look at the Liberty Bell. We don't have to go to the next civil rights thing. You can look in the mirror and say, God has freed me. You can look at one another and say, I'm a picture of liberty. 
and the liberty that has come in my life is not due to the fact of how I self-willed, but it's due to the fact of what God has done for me. Therefore, I don't need to escape what is hard. I don't need to be an escape artist. I don't need to be an individual that's running from pain and suffering. I don't need to run for what, to what feels good. I just need to run to the one that is good because what he says is goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And beloved, when I communicate this to you, I want you to know when you come to the front, this invitation of freedom is here as you partake as a community of believers when it comes to the covenant. Will you do that this morning? Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your wonderful mercy and grace. We ask, God, that we come to this table acknowledging that you're the one who will always set us free from our sins, from our pretentiousness. You will always set us free to love and to care for one another and accept our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses because of who you made us to be. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. All God's people said together, amen. Glory to God, oh glory to God, oh glory to God. Well, you got to give God a hand praise. Give God a hand praise. Thank you to our worship team. Thank you all for serving us this morning. When you leave this place, leave it knowing that you're proclaiming the accomplishments in which Jesus did to transform us by making sure that we don't come in here succumbing to pretentiousness, loving on purpose, and confessing our vulnerabilities, walking in that lip freely because God has called us to it. Now, receive the benediction as you leave. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Go in peace, beloved. Amen.